0: The key for each one of us is we need to remember that our plans should be written in pencil. They are tentative. Our plans are not our own. Time, our time is not our own. Our lives are not our own, if you're a follower of Jesus. As a follower of Jesus, you have said, Lord, my life is
1: not mine, I've been bought at a price. You don't usually schedule things expecting them not to happen. When you plan it, you assume that it will come to pass. Well, today, Pastor Daniel explains that you should live knowing that what you plan may not be the direction that God wants you to go. Yielding to Jesus means giving him the final say. It's fine to make plans, but write them in pencil. Your willingness to simply respond to Jesus will lead you into the abundant life he wants for you. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in James chapter four as he continues his message, Three Things Not to Do.
0: If you're busy judging people, you have no room to love them. And if love is the highest ideal in the life of a believer, then you have to decide, do I want to judge people? Or do I want to love people? You can't have both. Very powerful. And, you know, it's like Teresa of Calcutta. I heard this amazing story about her. Uh, someone uh, from the West went out to kind of go serve with, with her organization when she was still alive she was talking to one of the, the sisters who worked there. And the sister said to this, to this guy, I said, hey, ha- have you seen Mother Teresa's feet? And he was like, what? Uh, no. And she's, he's like, well, it's good that I, I caught you. So I don't want you to be shocked by when you see her feet. He's like, well, what are you talking about? He's like, well, when you see her feet, her feet are incredibly deformed. He's like, why? He's like, well, because we'd get these donations of shoes. And Teresa would let everyone else choose shoes first and she would take whatever was left for 40 years. So she spent 40 years serving the most marginalized people with shoes that don't fit. And so her feet are deformed. And it's like, what a great example of self-sacrificial love. And then when she says something like, if I'm judging people, I have no room to love them. And I start saying to myself, wow, like, Jesus said this, James said this. So brothers and sisters, listen, Whatever you do, don't go through life judging people. It's not our job. Don't go through life giving people concussions because they have specks in their eyes. Now, that doesn't mean that we're supposed to, just because we don't call people out of I it mean, doesn't mean we agree with them, doesn't mean that we, we believe that what they're doing is right or righteous or acceptable or glorifying to God. That's actually not the point here. James and Jesus doesn't even talk about that. It's a quality of life that says, for the children of God, judgment is just not something we do because we know the judge is the Lord and he's not inviting us to be his co-judge. God's like, listen, man, I can get my work done if I have you as the prosecutor. <laughs> it's like, it doesn't, God doesn't need our help in this, so let's stop helping. And here's the deal. I'll be super, I realize that here in Crossroads, like there's all sorts of people here. There's people who've been walking with Jesus for a long time. There's people you're here. You're just kind of checking Jesus out. And you're like, I'm not sure if I believe in Jesus. And if you're in that category, listen, I super love, and we love that you're here. And you're welcome to be here. We want you to be here. I believe we live in a world full of judgment. And I don't expect the world in which we live to not be judgmental because the focus of the world we live in is me and what I believe to be right. And I'm going to impose that on everybody right? So the world should be judgmental because it's got the self at the center. But I'm talking to those of you who are Christians. If you're a Christian, you've abandoned yourself as the center by letting Jesus be the center. And now Jesus is saying, don't judge people. And if you talk to most people who don't believe in Jesus, one of the reasons they don't believe in Jesus is because they were judged by a Christian along the way. They got hurt by a church. They got hurt by somebody who in the name of Jesus did exactly what Jesus and James is telling them not to do. So when I start looking at that and I read the scripture, I'm like, okay, whatever I do, I need to make sure I'm not judging people. And I'll be honest, in the last two years, given all that's going on in our culture, masks, no masks, vaccines, no vaccines, this, that, and the other thing, I've gotten more people speaking ill of me in the last two years, than I had in all of my ministry before I got here for the last two years. And I'm gonna tell you, I've done a lot of dumb stuff in ministry. But all of a sudden now, it's like everyone feels like it's their job to judge everybody else. And I'm just like, people, get a grip. Read the Bible. Our job is not to judge. And I don't even judge the people who bring these stuff against me, but I'm like, what's amazing is, is no one has ever come down and sat down and said, Daniel, I'm really struggling with this decision. They just judge and they talk about you. Or for me, I get it on social media, which I don't really mind because I'm on social media like the next person. But I'm like, this isn't the quality of the kingdom. And so brothers and sisters, if you're here and you're following Jesus, God did all of his judging at the cross. And when Jesus returns, he doesn't need our help in judging. And our judgment is pushing people farther from the Lord than drawing him near So you might say, well, Fusco, if I'm not supposed to judge people, what am I supposed to do? Ah, great question. You and I, our job is to be a living letter to the world of God's love and his grace. Our lives are supposed to be the kind of lives that when people look to a belief, they're like, I don't understand why they're like that. Hey, you have something I don't have. Why are you like that? Like, Someone said something mean, you, you didn't even respond in anger. You just said, Oh, I'm so sorry you feel that way. And, you know, why would you do that? Because God wants us to be his ambassadors, the fragrance of the kingdom. And when we're busy being judgy, we're not the fragrance of the kingdom, we're a fragrance of a fallen world that Jesus died and rose again to redeem. Does that make sense? So, so simple. First, whatever you do, don't be judgy. Look what happens next. Verse 13, come now. You who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there and buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So brothers and sisters, second Whatever you do, don't assume that tomorrow is promised. Whatever you do, don't assume that tomorrow is promised. Now, this is a mistake that all of us make, and it is being presumptuous that our plan is God's plan without inviting God's purposes and plans into our decision-making. Now, I know we've all made this mistake But really what it is, is it shows a lack of humility in deciding what our lives are going to entail. What you have here is James is calling out somebody who's got a pretty well-laid plan. I mean, look at it. Today or tomorrow, so there's a timeline. We're going to do this eminently. Today or tomorrow, we're going to go to such and such a city. So we have this destination chosen. And we're going to spend a year there. So we have a a time frame. We're going to go there for a year. When we go there, we're going to buy and sell. They've already decided, these are the commodities that I'm going to be involved in and buying and selling and making my money and all this stuff. And and we're going to make a profit. But then James says, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. And then he says in verse 15, instead you ought to say... If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. So you see the mistake that they're making. There's plans being made without saying, what is God's purpose or will for my life? Of course, Proverbs 27 verse 1 tells us it this way. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Now, this is very, very powerful because remember I told you that we were born and then we die, and then we get to choose what we put in the middle. For many of us, because we live in a world full of options, we say, well, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do this, 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 and this, and this is what it's gonna be. But we never start to say, God, what is your will for what I'm gonna do? And that simple step shows a priority on what we want as opposed to what God wants. And we end up running on out in our own devices with our own plans that God doesn't have. And that mistake causes us to lead lives of quiet desperation, as was written. We end up finding ourselves in the middle of stuff that we're never supposed to be involved in in the first place, but we have our own plan. So the key for each one of us is we need to remember that our plans should be written in pencil. They are tentative. Our plans are not our own. Time, our time is not our own. Our lives are not our own if you're a follower of Jesus. As a follower of Jesus, you have said, Lord, my life is not mine. I've been bought at a price. So Lord, now what is your will for my life? And what I have learned in walking with Jesus for 20 years and being a pastor for a good portion of that is by and large, God's people don't really want God's will in their life, although we say we do. Because God's will in our life looks a lot like something we normally wouldn't do left up to our own devices. Very few people love to walk by faith. We love to walk by this is the next logical step in the journey. And God is inviting all of us into a different life, what the Bible calls the abundant life. But the abundant life is on the other side of not my will, but yours be done. I'll never forget because in my own story, I've experienced this so many times. Like before I went into the ministry, I was, I, I was pursuing a career in music and I had great career prospects. Like, I mean, it was like, it was all kind of up and to the right. It was going great. Because when I got saved, that was the trajectory of my life. And I remember when I was, a, you know, a young believer and I remember a pastor first said, to me, you're gonna make a great pastor. And I was like, what kind of a knucklehead is this guy? I'm like, Psh. I'm a pastor I'm like I think I even said to him you couldn't catch me dead being a pastor because it's like who want to be a pastor I was going to be I'm going to be playing Madison Square Garden bro with like speakers behind me my hair just like you know playing the lowest note on the bass and just watching everyone's ears explode I was like I had a plan yeah you 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 can imagine this right like, it's like, I, it's just, this is my plan. And I remember, I'll never forget it because I had never fasted before. I think I've told you guys this story. I have never fasted before because I'm Italian. So why would you want to skip a meal? You know what I mean? Like So like, like, skipping a meal is not a smart move. And only someone who believes in Jesus would choose to fast because God says, when you fast, you connect with me. And so, and I've learned the, the wisdom of fasting. But as an all Italian kid, it's like eating is life. And so, so I would never, so I started fasting. And I remember, I remember. It was for the very first time, the Lord was like, Daniel, music is a gift that I've given you, but it's not the calling that I have in your life. Ouch. Okay, well, what's the calling? I've called you to preach my word. Oh, I told that pastor, you couldn't catch me dead being a pastor. Now look at what's happening. But again, I had never asked God, what's your will? What do you want? And what I've learned in my life is that at every step of the way, Unless we ask the Lord, is this your will, we make some big mistakes. I remember when uh, my bride, Lynn, and I fell in love. I'll never forget, I was talking to my pastor, John Henry, who I love so much. And, and you know, I was telling him what was going on. And he's like, okay. He said, like, you want my advice? I'm like, always, Pastor John Henry, what do you got for me? He's like, well, whatever you do, don't tell Hillary, which is his wife. Don't tell Hillary what I'm going to tell you right now. I'm like, oh. He's like, she's going to say it's not romantic enough. I'm like, okay. He's like, so you love her? Yes. She loves you? Yes. You guys love Jesus? Yes. You should ask God to shut it down. Excuse me? He's like, yeah, you should ask God to shut it down. I'm like, why? He's like, because all things being equal, you love her, she loves you, you both love Jesus, you're going to get married. All sides point to marriage. He's like, so you got to give God a little room that if he doesn't want you guys to get married, he can shut it down. So I'm like, okay. You know, I'm like, well, what happens if he shuts it down? He's like, oh, well, you and Lynn will be better off in the long run. Because <laughs> it's not his will. And he's like, and I'm like, and if he doesn't shut it down, he's like, have a blast for the rest of your life. And I remember we prayed and, you know, we're married now and wedded bliss for 17 years. You know, she, actually, I feel that way. She's stuck with me. But that's a different discussion, <laughs> you know. But, but what's beautiful is I've counseled many, many couples, Like, you guys love each other? Yeah. You love Jesus? Yeah. You should pray that God will shut it down. They're all like, excuse me? Someone always says, why do we talk to Pastor Daniel about this? I'm like, that's why I don't do counseling. We have better pastors on staff who do that. I'm the worst person to talk to about these things. Because I'll say something like, oh, you guys are in love, premarital. You should ask, like, God, shut your marriage down. You know, before you get married. For that reason. Because all things being equal, you're like, well, she loves Jesus. I love Jesus. We love Jesus. We love each other. Let's get married. But what if that's not God's will? And all along the journey, God is asking us to invite him and his purposes and plans into every decision that we make. That's what the the abundant life is. It's inviting Jesus into, Lord, what is your will? Like, let's talk about something that's going on right now that's really concerning me as it relates to this idea of the will of God and purposes. One of the things I think is a unique byproduct of all that's going on in our world right now is I see that what's happening in our world right now is that the circumstances of what's happening is actually pulling the people of God out of significant places in the public square right now, which sounds exactly like what the enemy of society and our souls want. But what I also see right now is that a lot of people, they're making decisions to leave places like the Portland metro area to go to more comfortable places for them to live their values quote-unquote like where right now there's a mass exodus of people out of major metropolitan centers in liberal environments because I don't want to have to deal with this stuff which I'm like have you asked Jesus what his will is you know why I say that because Jesus's will is never for you and I to be comfortable I hate to say, I know, I know comfort's an American value. And I don't like to be comfortable like the next person, but whenever in the Bible it says, this is God's will for you, that you be comfortable. <laughs> now, I'm not saying I, I, I like discomfort, but I'm here to tell you when all sorts of people move to different areas that are more comfortable for them, actually, discipleship doesn't happen when we're comfortable. Discipleship happens when we have to rely on Jesus to do what only He can do. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that people who are moving out of Vancouver, Washington or out of, I just don't know how often people are asking, God, what's your will? Because Jesus, if you look at Jesus, Jesus left comfort and came to earth to get crucified. The Apostle Paul left comfort to end up in jail numerous times and we have this idea that like when i'm like it'll be more comfortable if i go to a place that's sunny all the time and i don't have to deal with any of this stuff no maybe jesus wants us to be here and deal with all this stuff because he loves the people here and he needs a redemptive witness so here's why i bring this up because listen if god wants you to move out of this area like i'll miss you but like we have to ask god what is your will And if God's will always looks like our comfort, we're not worshiping Jesus. We're worshiping our comfort. And I think that God calls us specifically into uncomfortable situations on purpose. Because what Jesus really cares about is our Christ-likeness. And I'm here to tell you, none of us grow the most when we're the most comfortable. Like, could you imagine if these guys who had this plan to go to the city and buy and sell, and he said, God, what's your will? And God's like, I actually want you to stay right where you are. I don't want you to buy and sell that stuff at all. And I want you to invest your life doing this thing that's not going to work. How many of us would be like, yeah, I'm not doing that. (laughs) But if it's God's will, there's a purpose in it. And I think that we should be more focused on, God, what's your will than what makes my life easier? God, what do you want? Because if not, we make a huge mistake. Now, there's one more thing I want to share with these verses, and then I'll move on. And mostly just because it's been the part of these verses that we just read that have been really speaking the most to me lately. I've read the book of James literally thousands of times. I've taught it a lot of times, double-digit number of times. But in the end of chapter verse 14, this phrase, for what is your life it is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. That Those two sentences have really been doing work in my life. I think partially because I like, remember I told you like it, was my, it would have been my mom's birthday. So my mom got sick at 47. So I'm going to be turned 46. So like... You know, I try and put myself back in my mom's time frame and it's like, okay, so this next year of my life will be was my mom's last year of feeling healthy before she got sick and then she passed away. So I'm like, okay. And then I have my my grandma who's ninety-five now, right? And I'm just aware of the fact that like life is short and fragile. It's fog in the morning. Like I'm driving my kids to school and all the different stuff that we're doing. And you know that like the fog's here now, but it's gonna be gone in like an hour. And that's exactly what life is like. And the Bible talks about this. Like, life is a vapor. Like, it happens very quickly. It appears for a little time, and then it vanishes away. And all of our lives are that. Whether you get 49 years like my mom, whether you get almost 100 years like my grandma, it's still in the midst of eternity. It is a blip on the screen. Listen, listen, talk about being humble. We need to be humble enough to realize that our lives are a vapor and it's going to happen quick. So the question for each one of us is simply, and this is the question that I feel like God's been asking me. It's like, what kind of a legacy do you want to leave in your time as a vapor? God, what in this short, it's going to happen. It's going to go on. Everything's going to move on after like when my time is done, everything's going to go on again. Like you're here a little time, you vanish away, life goes on. What kind of a legacy do I want to leave? Now, here's the beauty of that. No matter what you've, the testimony of your life has been in the past, if you still have breath in your lungs on this side of eternity, you have time to build into whatever you want that legacy to be. So in our time that is a vapor, I want to encourage you, leave the fragrance of God's kingdom. Leave the fragrance of Christ. Choose to make decisions going forward that when your vapor is done, people will look back and say, I'm so grateful so-and-so was involved in so-and-so. Because life's a vapor. And we make sure that we don't make the mistake of boasting or assuming that tomorrow is promised, making self-centered decisions we can counteract that by saying, my life is a vapor, God. What kind of a fragrance do you want this vapor to leave? And we'll step into what, God would, what we would call doing the work of God's kingdom, leaving a legacy. Now, I left you verse 17, because we got our, our third and final, whatever you do, don't do this. Look at verse 17. It says, therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him, it is sin. So brothers and sisters, whatever you do, don't neglect To do good. Whatever you do, don't neglect to do good. See, I love what James is saying here. He's saying, to him who knows to do good. So you know what you're supposed to do. And if you do not do it, the good that you know to do that you don't do, that's sin. Now, what is scary, powerful, beautiful for us right now is that I realized that if we were to go around and ask each person what do you know you're supposed to be doing right now that you're not doing? Everybody has a couple answers. That's one thing I know about people. If I'm like, what do you know you're supposed to be doing that you're not doing right now? Everyone's got something. And I'm here to simply tell you, you should start doing that thing. Because you know you're supposed to do it, but you're not doing it. And so when you know what you're supposed to do and you're not doing it, that's sin. And we don't want to sin. This is talking about having a humility in our own lives to live out the very things that God has already spoken to us. For many of us, we're looking for the next revelation when God's like, you actually haven't implemented the last revelation.
1: Jesus is real So what is it for you? What do you know that God wants you to do that you're not doing? Today, Pastor Daniel urged you to follow through on the things that God has already shown you. Maybe it's spending time reading the Bible. It might be talking to that person that you've had conflict with. Maybe God has been nudging you to give more of your time or your money. Whatever it is, you should do the good that he's shown you. Take a step. Make a plan. Reach out. He's there and will help you move forward. Come back again next time when Pastor Daniel will continue in this study on the book of James. Your faith isn't just something that you do on Sundays. It's an everyday rubber meets the road reality that changes who you are. But God's message isn't always easy to hear. You'll be invited to unpack the hard things this book says about wealth and oppression.